Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Saturn 3. Sebastian and I am here with Jennifer. Hello. And welcoming to the podcast our special guest this episode, Mr. Mark Gottlieb. It is truly an honor to be here for the trauma. Yay! It is an honor for us to have you here. Now, Mark Gottlieb is a friend. He is a enthusiast of uh, giallo and horror films. He is also the writer of some pretty incredible Asylum Mockbusters. You may know his work uh, in Aquarium of the Dead, Triassic World, and Fast and Fierce, colon, Death Race. Now, interestingly, uh, Jennifer and I are currently living in Bend, Oregon, and in Bend, Oregon is the last blockbuster, the final remaining blockbuster store. I went in there and I saw Fast and Fierce Death Race, and I was like, holy shit, is that one of Mark's movies? And I picked it up off the shelf, just like you would have done back in the day, looked at the DVD cover, and there was your name. I was so proud. So you are up here in Bend, Oregon, being represented. Well, I couldn't be more thrilled about that. And uh, it's I, I actually wish I could see that um, on the Blockbuster shelf like that. Because I remember when Blockbuster was was a thing, you know, would walk around and you know, go through all the covers and boxes for your evening's enjoyment. And uh, I would look at those boxes, pull them off the shelf and say, one day my name will be on the back of, a, of one of these boxes with uh, DMX on the front of the cover. <laughs> well, that day has come through. Yes. Yeah. Woo. Woohoo. I don't want to, you know, I know you probably have to keep these things under wraps, but can you give us any sort of hint about a future mockbuster that might be coming out? Like, uh, did you do like sand or something you know, <laughs> to tie into Dune? <laughs> they didn't approach me for that one, um, but I, I'm sure we'll be seeing an announcement soon. Actually, no, I don't, uh, believe it or not, um, even the stuff I can't talk about, there's nothing that will be a 
familiar version of a certain title that you may have heard about elsewhere. So uh, nothing for me on that front at the moment. Is the next thing that you uh, are involved with, does it come straight from the mind of Mark Gottlieb? Is it like an original thing? Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of originality in there based upon other people telling me the direction I need to go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Cool. Well, we look forward to that uh, when it hits the uh, shelves of the local blockbuster. Yeah, that really, really. Cool. I'll send you a picture or whatever. Next time I go in there, I'll I'll take a take a photo for you so you can see see yourself on the wall of history. Yes, love it. But we're not here to talk about mockbusters today. We're no. here to talk about Saturn Three. I don't know if a lot of our listeners will be familiar with this movie. We wanted Mark as a guest, and so I threw a bunch of titles out to him, and he said, Saturn 3, that's the one that really jumps out at me. Right. <laughs> so it's going to be a nice little segue into October. We're doing a little sci-fi, which was what we usually sort of cover here, but well, we're doing horror in October, and this is sort of a sci-fi horror film that really sort of came on the wake of Alien. It, it was released in 1980, the year after Alien, and was generally seen as an Alien ripoff. Right. Mark, what sort of memory or history do you have with Saturn 3? Well, um, it's funny that you pretty much mapped it out. You know, the, the poster for this movie has that, has Hector, the crazy looking robot on Oh yeah, and so you know you've you've seen movies like Alien, you've seen you know the the knockoffs that came out and everything afterwards. So you're expecting this movie with a crazy ass robot going around killing everyone on board of whatever ship they're on, and Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. So as a as a ten year old boy, I'm thinking this is going to be the greatest film ever made. <laughs> you know, and and when you mentioned the list of movies, and when you said Saturn Three was on there, I said you know what this is this is the moment where all these years later, it can possibly redeem itself in my my young eyes, um, because now I can watch it expecting the movie they made, not expecting the movie that I had in mind at that at that age. And uh, <laughs> yeah, how'd that work out for you? I, it's funny. There are moments that in the movie that happened, and I went, "Oh yeah, I remember that." And of course, we'll get into the two or three very more. Well, I don't know if you say famous moments because there's nothing famous about this film, but there are infamous, I guess, moments that are. Uh, affiliated with it that people go, oh yeah, I've seen Saturn 3. Oh, I know about that. Yeah, I remember certain moments happening and everything, but you know, I, there's a different context now because I'm watching it you know, older now and, and with a different maturity for, for watching films, although maturity is probably the wrong word. <laughs> um, but um, I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it for what awesome. for what they tried to do, um, for what they had on screen. I mean, there's a lot of stuff lacking and there are a lot of things that, like I said, we'll get into that, I'm sure, um, you know, that, that, that aren't there that should be, but the core premise, there's something about it that I really and I really dug. I really enjoyed. It definitely has a certain quality about it that I think if you're a fan of schlocky sci-fi and horror, like there's a lot to enjoy here. Now, yeah. Jennifer, do you have any memory of Saturn 3 at all? No memory of Saturn 3. As a matter of fact, when 
you said this was the, the film we were going to watch. I was confusing it with Capricorn One. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. which I have seen. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, Capricorn One. And I, that's in my brain. I was like totally thinking that these, because the names are familiar and they're around the same time. So I hadn't even seen this, but I was excited to watch it because uh, I love Farrah Fawcett and Harvey Keitel and Kirk Douglas. I mean, it's a great cast. I like sci-fi, but I really am mostly into horror. Um, and so sci-fi horror is a, a sweet spot for me. So I was interested to check it out. And it's a time period that I really like for cinema. But it was I went into it cold. This was the first time I, I had seen it. Now, the big selling point for this movie and the person who receives top billing over Kirk Douglas <laughs> is Farrah Fawcett. This was her time. She was... Coming off of Charlie's Angels, only having been been on it in one season, uh, there was that famous poster that was in every person's bedroom who was of a certain age <laughs> at that time. I, of course, was well aware of Farrah Fawcett. And like Mark, when this movie came out, I was like, holy shit, Farrah Fawcett's in a movie? But I didn't see it at the time. Mark, what was your childhood memory of Farrah Fawcett? Uh, it was it was obviously Charlie's Angels. I used to watch uh, her on that show, and then um, I, I I knew of Lee Majors. I knew that they were married, uh, and I used to like his um, well, Six Million Dollar Man. But I also liked the Fall Guy. So you know, I I kind of knew her from her persona more so than you know the shows she was in. Besides Charlie's Angels, the fact that she's in a really strange sci-fi horror thing was uh, was really the the thing for me that was like, okay, this is this is going to be what I remember her for. She definitely tries to carry the film. You know, they, they give her, like, well, they don't give anybody a lot to do in this movie at all, but they, no. they, they do kind of position her in this, um, in this role where she's kind of the, uh, the central point of the proceedings. Yes. And that was not how the movie was originally conceived. Once she was brought on board, they sort of repurposed it all around her. But Jen, you are a big Charlie's angels fan, right? Yes, I am. Huge Charlie's Angels fan. I loved Farrah. Just being aware of her growing up, just she's just so pretty. And I think she's great in this. I mean, I, I think she's, you know, just a beautiful, sweet character. And I don't know, I'm, I'm totally here for it. Great might be a strong word. Yeah, I think for what it is. I mean, who else were you going to want in, in this role? She's no Sigourney Weaver, let's be honest. No, if we're but talking acting. She she holds her own with Kirk. I mean, yeah. she she's there to play a certain role, a certain you know kind yeah. of uh, I guess stereotype in a way. But um, yeah. she she uh, but she does it well. I think so. And you know, and Kirk doesn't keep looking at her like you know like he doesn't want to be in the frame with her. I mean, she's definitely holding her own in every scene that they're in together, and they have a great chemistry together. Yes. I'm sure he wanted to be in the frame with her. <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> I think he definitely did. And and I mean, even, you know, and we'll get into this, but when we were watching um, the Blu-ray there, you know, was we were watching some of the deleted scenes because that's a, a highlight later. But 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 even seeing like some of it where they weren't like getting into to the scene just yet, like you could just kind of see their interaction and their dynamic. And they seem to really be having a good time. Well, you know who wasn't having a good time? And that was Harvey Keitel. He apparently did not like director Stanley Donnan so much to the fact that he wouldn't come in to do his looping, which is 
why it is looped by a different person. So if you're coming to this movie hoping to get some like hardcore Harvey Keitel action, you might be a little disappointed because his voice is not his voice. But let's talk a minute about the production of this movie. This um, movie was originally conceived by John Barry, who was the visual effects guy on Star Wars. And like this was his idea, basically Frankenstein in space. And he, he conceived of it actually before Alien even came out. So even though this was definitely released on the hype of Alien, it was not conceived that way. And if you know anything about the way movies are made, you know that it's pretty hard to get a movie made in a year. So this had to have been in the works beforehand. But they definitely rode that Alien hype. But um, John Barry apparently couldn't actually direct <laughs> people. So the producer of the film, d- director Stanley Donnan of Singing in the Rain and Charade. And Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> yes. He had to step in and take over this crazy sci-fi movie, which he felt like he was completely inadequate to do. He was not familiar with sci-fi, but they needed somebody who could actually direct. So he stepped in. They apparently gave the script to Farrah Fawcett, like on a plane or something. Yeah. He was sitting across the aisle from her on a flight. I think Yvette Mimieux had the script first. Oh, wow. And gave it to Don. Wasn't he originally coming on the film like as a producer, though? Stanley Donnan? Yeah, he was going to be he was yes. going to be involved with the film. But right. OK, that's what I thought, because it, I had read something that he was actually interested in getting into like sci-fi or more kind of horror type things because he wanted to like reach a more contemporary audience or something something along the lines of that he was interested in it but yeah he came on as a producer i guess and then became the director by default well i think even more so than alien this was post star wars and post star wars everybody was wanting to get into the sci-fi game so it doesn't surprise me that he was thinking about it but uh, yeah i think he didn't think of himself as somebody who could direct sci-fi he just didn't feel like he had a grasp on it and then perhaps maybe shows a little in the movie (laughs) i think by the time the flight was over they had a deal for her to be in the movie apparently the role was not uh, a big role to begin with so once she came on they rewrote most of the script to feature her more heavily, which is why she's such a major part of the movie, which I think is definitely to the movie's benefit, because if it was just mostly Kirk Douglas versus Harvey Keitel and the robot, I think that dynamic would have gotten kind of stale. So I think her involvement definitely improved the movie for what it's worth. So uh, the movie begins with this crazy sort of 70s style sci-fi intro you know we've got the cheesy sort of synth music that is apparently uh elmer bernstein yeah, is the composer who yes. <laughs> right. was not known for this kind of shit. no no and i commented when we were watching this i'm i really like the music i like the music throughout the whole thing yeah the main theme especially is actually really good why I'm surprised it hasn't been sampled by like Fatboy Slim or some you know yeah. electronica artist or even like a hip hop tune or some kind because it's got a very catchy kind of few notes in there that uh, are perfect for a sample. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. I mean, it's not necessarily what you might want for like your intense sci-fi horror movie. You know, it's no Jerry Goldsmith alien music. Right, or, right. Uh, right. But it's still, it's it's pretty fun to listen to. And interestingly, we have the uh, Shout Factory Blu-ray because I actually bought the Blu-ray of this as soon as it came out because I was like, I got to have fucking Saturn 3 on Blu-ray. <laughs> And the weird thing is, is when you put in the Saturn 3 Blu-ray, 
it defaults to the 5.1 mix and we don't have 5.1 and either of our TVs here. So we got this really bizarre <laughs> mix where you couldn't hear any of the like middle channel. <gasps> so at the, the first five minutes we were watching this, it was all just the crazy music and sound effects and no, there was no dialogue. And it was like watching some bizarre <laughs> silent film or something. I was kind of here for it though. Like I was like, well, this is just, it's a choice. This is what they're doing. And I was like, I was, I was with it. Seb was like, I can't believe you were able to like figure out what was going on. But I was like, I guess this is just how it's starting is, you know, because it was like literally the first scene and going into like the locker room and, and all of that happening, like where you just were getting the music and background, background noise, noise. <laughs> just, it's the stuff that you would hear in like the rear speakers right you know what i yeah. mean like the ambient stuff and music but the dialogue wasn't there at all it was really weird let me ask you a question i was gonna buy the blu-ray as well but i couldn't get it in time so i actually watched it on uh, on amazon prime we start the movie and it's just silence is it silence on the credits? Yes. Okay. It takes forever for any music at all to start. No sound. It's silence. And I'm, I'm messing with all, I'm like, wait a minute, this, <laughs> this is, wait, what? And I'm messing with all the, you know, the buttons on the remote and I'm screw, screwing around with the receiver. I'm like, is this, does there no sound? And then it goes to picture of the picture of Saturn and there's still no sound. So I'm like, well, maybe the volumes, I'm cranking the volume to like all the way up to 80 on the TV. <laughs> and all of a sudden it just, whoosh is in with this noise i'm like okay i'm turning it back down so that was their their approach was just silence yeah that was the mix yeah. i think you know maybe they were trying to like give the silence of space before the first ship appears back in the late 70s every sci-fi movie in space had to start with a ship coming into frame yes. like star wars had right. done and it doesn't really make sense <laughs> in this movie because it, they start at like a space station or something like this isn't the ship that we're going to be on this right. isn't where we're going it's just like let's just have a starship and and let's just talk briefly about the the special effects which are definitely not up to snuff for post star wars like no. the special effects in this movie are fun if you have an affinity for sci-fi pre-star wars there's definitely a lot of mid-70s dystopia logan's runny type of stuff going on even in terms of the design but the actual ships and stuff are like Flash Gordon, not even 1980 Flash Gordon, like serial <laughs> Flash Gordon. You know, they're way too small. They clearly don't, they're not using whatever the computer technology that Lucas used to make spaceships look like they're flying in space. So it's definitely a cheesy sort of vibe you're getting right off the bat, especially with the, the ships. But I kind of enjoy it. And the funny part is that that first ship that's coming in, which I guess is the, the station where he leaves from, as it's coming into frame from the top, you know, it's like, okay, it's clearly a miniature. And they did, you know, they've done some detailed work on it. It's fine. But then there's this disc hanging off the bottom of it. That's all warped. And I'm trying to think, okay, is that, how is that part of the sh actual, sh cause it literally looks like they put the miniature under a hot lamp by uh -huh. mistake <laughs> when they went to lunch and the, 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 the bottom panel of it got all warped. And they just left it. And they just like, well, we don't have time for this. We'll just we'll just shoot it and we'll futz with it later. And then they didn't. But it was so distracting. Because you know these are modest miniatures that are that are wonderfully enjoyable nowadays. But 
I think there's something wrong with this thing. And it was so, it was so distracting that I'm just like, I'm just, okay, this is clearly a miniature and it doesn't look right. So we enter into this space station and we go through the scene where they're calling for Captain James to come out and uh, get in his shuttle. And they're preparing his shuttle. These really creepy sort of, you know, helmeted men are coming up from like this Caldor-like horizon, <laughs> filling this ship with something we don't know what they're filling it with, but we will find out later. And meanwhile, uh, Captain James is running late or some shit. <laughs> like he's like racing to get to the ship, and he goes to the locker room, and this dude in a helmet and a crazy awesome green space suit with like this black piping, which I love. Yeah, it's really the cool. Space suit. Yeah, it's, it's really an awesome great. Space suit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is Benson, and we're learning because um, Captain James is like, "Oh, hey, Benson, I hear you failed your exam. <laughs> I hear you're unstable." <laughs> <laughs> you only had 88 minutes to get everything out, man. I mean, they got to go right to it. Here's my advice to you. Don't say to the unstable person, I hear you're unstable. <laughs> because what Benson does is like he then he opens up the airlock. It sucks James right out and like into these like wires <laughs> that they've got set up outside the airlock. And he gets like diced up into like four pieces. It's actually kind of shocking. <laughs> yeah, but it was pretty cool too. You're like, holy shit. He just literally got cut into four pieces. <laughs> Right out the gate. Going back to the director of the film real quick. That opening you mentioned where there's all this crazy shit going on in this space station, I guess. And they have um, those guys walking up the stairs, but they're in perfect choreographed formation. Right. Like like it's the start of a Busby Berkeley number. Right. And, and, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we clearly have, you know, again, you know there's a musical director on board. So you think, okay, well, he's clearly – this is the opening of the movie. He's got to, you know, he's got to choreograph the shit out of it to really yeah. bring you into it. And I, it, it really feels like they're all going to just burst into a musical number. Totally. Which again, which I'm, which now is, is making me more, is bringing me into the film a lot quicker. And I'm really starting to love that aspect of it. And I was really waiting to see where he went with that. So what happens is uh, Benson basically assumes the identity of Captain James and gets into the shuttle and takes off. And we get this space journey to Saturn three. And like he goes through the rings of Saturn and we see these rocks sort of hitting his ship and stuff. Definitely not up to snuff again in a post Star Wars post 2001 era which i do feel like it's kind of trying to do a little 2001 here with the music and the ship but for enjoyable cheese factor it's a pretty fun little sequence to watch absolutely i could agree more the shuttle arrives at the saturn 3 space station which is uh a space station built to create food through hydroponics that's what they're doing and the two people uh, manning this space station are Adam, played by the 64-year-old at the time, Kirk Douglas, and Farah as Alex, who was 32 at the time. So he's literally twice her age. And they are doing it. Like, they are <laughs> in love. And it's like right away... Their sexual dynamic is established. They're just all over each other. Mm -hmm. It's quite a surprise. They're by themselves. They're out in the middle of space. They're, there's nobody around. And they couldn't be more thrilled that it's just the two of them out there growing food 
for um, Earth that apparently, Earth. I guess, is, yeah. in, is in chaos or has been destroyed. or You never quite get the full um, story on that, but uh, apparently they need to start growing food out by Saturn for Earth. I figured it was just like Earth now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so totally a lot more relatable today than it was in 1980. I love their whole setup, and I love their dynamic when... Benson arrives, Benson's all business and like ready to set up and like get going. And they're like, Hey, no, let's have a drink first. And and it's just, I'm so, so enjoying this. Like they're just, yeah, like you said, they're just kicking it out there. Happy as they could be by themselves. And they seem like a good time. They've been there three years and Alex uh, Farah has never been to Earth. So that's sort of the, their dynamic throughout the whole movie. She's going to keep asking questions about Earth. And Kirk Douglas is like, it's a shithole. Why would you want to go there? <laughs> so that, yeah, that's kind of a thread that runs through it. We get our first look at Harvey Keitel as Benson, the guy who committed the murder in the first scene, who we hadn't seen because he was wearing this cool black helmet that looks very much like something a character would wear in Star Wars, whatever. But he takes off the helmet and it's Harvey Keitel with a fucking ponytail. (laughs) And dubbed. Dubbed in this voice that kind of sounded like William Shatner to me. Yeah. Did he sound kind of like William Shatner? Yeah, it's it's Shatner and you're you're sitting there going, because I I didn't realize that about the whole thing where he he wouldn't uh, loop his lines. So I'm sitting there going, he's dubbed, but it sounds like him... Because they're yeah. trying to do the accent he has, mm-hmm. but it's not always there, but it's kind of popping in and out. And I'm like, okay, maybe he, I was, again, distracted for half of the movie with his voice because it's clearly not him. And you're a guy that watches tons of giallos all the time where it's all done. Yeah, so you're right, used right. to it. How distracting must it have been <laughs> if you're being distracted? Yeah, I should I should have went through that a lot quicker. Well, I mean, it's weird though when it's a, somebody that you no. know their voice really yeah. well. Yeah, that's the thing, especially and because because he, he, you know, you you associate Harvey Keitel with that kind of gruff New York accent. It has that kind of voice, and and even despite the fact he's a lot younger, obviously, so his voice may sound a little different. It's still it's components of his typical voice are are absolutely missing. It's very yeah. It, it took a while to get used to that. I I mean, I've seen his earlier films, but I haven't. I guess I've just like gotten used to seeing him as an older person now. So it's just been a minute. So at first I was like, wow, ooh, Harvey Cattell looking good. Like, <laughs> young. And then I'm like, <laughs> then he started talking and I was like, what's going on? You know, I mean, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's very um, odd, but I think he looks great. The ponytail is, is, I don't know. That was a choice. Well, there was a, fun- there seemed to be a function to it too, as we, as we find out later in the movie. He lifts his ponytail later and we see that he's got like a data port underneath it. Which he then connects to the robot mentally. But before we get there, one thing that is definitely retained from the Harvey Keitel that we know is that he is a total dick. (laughs) They're all trying to be nice to him and he's just like, don't touch that. (laughs) He's just immediately like... Colin Kirk Douglas obsolete yeah. and they're trying to make him comfortable and they invite him into their cool 70s sex pad where they <laughs> hang out and drink all the time, yeah. I guess. They got the music going in the background. They got a Wi-Fi system. And I love how, like you said, he comes on like a total dick. He walks in there and he's like there for five minutes. He's like, your research is like two months behind. He's like kind of insinuating that they're doing nothing out there. Like what the hell is going on? He's basically saying we're starving on earth because of you two. And you're fuck fest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you just got here, dude. I mean, once you ease into that after the, 
You have to release to the first evening. But even worse, he's hanging out with uh, Farah later, Alex, and he's like, may I use your body? I- like, you have an incredible <laughs> body. May I use it? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, but back on Earth, that's what we do. Everybody just gets to just pleasure ourselves with each other's bodies. Like, And she's like, no, thanks. I'm with Adam or the major, she calls him. Or the major. Yeah. Yeah. The major. So, yeah, Benson's putting down the major and trying to get with Alex right away, which is, you know, creating a pretty uncomfortable dynamic. And a lot of things that happen in this movie are sort of viewed over video monitors or heard over comm links or whatever. Whenever they're having these sort of exchanges, we'll see Kirk Douglas watching (laughs) and reacting to it like... Well, that dickhead or whatever. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that scene where uh, Harvey Cocktail comes out really strong. He manages to, uh, in one scene, in the course of about two minutes, bring up drug use, dog eating, (laughs) casual sex, and voyeurism. And you're thinking, for a guy who's got that kind of attitude, you figure it'd be a hell of a lot more fun when he gets to the ship. He is not a good time. He's not no. a good time at all. He's such a creep. And then like, oh, yes, gross. all of the all of these things are established, like you said, so quickly. And then what's also established is that there's an eclipse coming. So like he's he's not going to be leaving for like 22 days. And, and the, uh, to add to his creepiness, they have the dog on the ship um, or uh, yes. at the space Sally. station. Sally. And when uh, the dog, you know, the dogs are, you know, the dog knows. The dog knows there's something right with this guy. The introduction to the dog is Harvey Keitel picking it up and looking it right in the asshole. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> holding it up. And then talking about eating it. Yes. <laughs> so Right there, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I was completely wrong on this film when I was 11 years old. This movie's amazing so far. (laughs) Yeah, another thing that's kind of amazing is, uh, as Mark mentioned, uh, Harvey Keitel likes to trip balls. He's got these pills. He's got a lot of pills, but one of the pills that he's really trying to get Farrah to take are called Blue Dreamers, Mm -hmm. and they... Basically, our MDMA or X or something is from what I gather. But he's like, I need some rest. I need to take my my blue dreamers. And she's like, what are those? And he's like, you've never taken them here. Why don't you take one? And she's like, no, but he gives her one anyway. And then she takes that back to Adam and he's like, oh, we don't want to do that. But then they do end up just a few scenes later. They end up cutting up in the blue dreamer in half and taking it. Now, Mark. Did you have the pleasure of watching the deleted scene here? No, I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. You So you are aware of it? I'm aware of some of it, yeah. I wish I'd... Again, this is why I was so pissed I didn't have the Blu-ray, because apparently the deleted scene is on there. This deleted scene is my favorite deleted scene of all deleted scenes. <laughs> and I, I said that when, when we watched it. I was like, this is... This should have been in the... Why was this not in the film? A lot of time you see deleted scenes, you're like, yeah, I can see why that was cut. Not here. Well, I can see why for a story reason it was cut because there's absolutely nothing pertaining to the plot that happens. However, like I don't Kurt care. Douglas starts <laughs> kind of like rolling around on the floor and laughing and like they're throwing like that globe around or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Farah comes out in this fucking insane outfit that's like a black sort of like space dominated yeah, with these crazy like, winged shoulders yeah. Or like yes that. yeah yeah it's pretty amazing apparently that outfit was used i think in the trailer or some of the promo stuff. promotional stills yeah yeah what she says like what that outfit is it was her like her debutante outfit or something this is what she was gonna right. de- <laughs> debut in which is just like are you i mean it's 
it's insane and and also like she's been like hey she and and adam are just hanging out and she's got like her normal farah hair going on you know which is gorgeous but when she disappears and like literally she's gone for just like a few moments in the scene she's and she's in like her loungewear also that she's like hanging out in most of the time you know like her white kind of see-throughy comfortable loungewear she like literally leaves goes off screen for like moments and comes back in this crazy outfit and like makeup and the hair is up and curled and everything it's it's so drastic it's a complete 180 and it's wonderful it's pretty awesome so like while we're sort of talking about this sort of fashion and all that sort of element let's talk a little bit about like the production design the production design for this is a big left turn from what was going on with Star Wars and Alien and stuff, where they were doing sort of like a used future thing where the ships are sort of lived in and dirty. I mean, there is sort of a lived in element to this space station, but it's also kind of bonkers because like the hallways are all black, but then you get like these primary colored tubes yeah. running through yeah. it. It's kind of awesomely weird like it definitely fits in well i think with the music too like it kind of creates a weird vibe like you're in some sort of almost disco space station or something yeah you know very <laughs> 70s it also reminded me of um of space mountain at disney a little bit like that's oh, like yeah. a, or, or like kind of like yeah. the, ho the whole like tomorrowland vibe actually like yeah. you, know, you know when disney in the 70s and 80s like the future yeah the whole the whole thing has this artifice about it that you know it it, it, it feels like it's a set but they've gone so over the top with it that you can't help but just be completely sucked into it and every scene therein you're just i was looking more at the background and and the, the sets and the production design of everything because it's uh it's absolutely compelling there's so much going on there's colors and lights and and flares and and and, and there's and there's a lot of movement in the whole film the camera's constantly moving so you get to see more of the of the sets around them and it's um that's what sold me on the film as it went on was was how great it looked uh in terms of its design i think there's i mean there's a little bit of alien giger-esque kind of stuff with the 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 hallways have kind of an oval sort of shape or some sort of like yeah. you know brocade at the top or whatever um if that's even the right word and it's kind of biomechanical yes. looking with tubing yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah that's that absolutely so i was i was drawn in by all that but then you know there's the, the areas where there's the i guess the hydroponics areas where there's you know, the grass and the, and the and the trees and everything so it was a it was a really cool mixture of, of like you said the biomechanical stuff but also with the the green lush uh, areas you know sort of peppered in see what you want about the movie overall i think it has an aesthetic about it that uh is, uh, is is I think one of the one of the biggest selling points of the movie overall. Well, and tying into that aesthetic, we get to our sort of main event, which is Hector, <laughs> <laughs> the killer robot. Now, in all of his little containers that he's brought, Benson has what he calls the first of the demigod series of robots, which has this brain that's in a giant tube that is grown from fetuses, okay? <laughs> I think it's multiple brains. It would look like it was, I don't know if it was just one brain. It looked Yeah, it's definitely bigger than one brain. They're packed together, I think. Yeah, it's really, really disturbing. I took it and it was just as like a mass, 
made from fetuses that was a brain. <laughs> Sounds good. This brain is somehow programmable or whatever. It gets a little fuzzy here with the details. Basically, you can program this brain to be as smart as a human or, or whatever. Why the robot is called Hector it, it makes no sense. <laughs> well, they try to tie it in later with that sort of weird kind of like the, the mentioning the mention they mentioned Troy Hector was uh, Achilles and all that yes. they at least make an attempt to kind of throw in some sort of reference of some kind I wish that Hector had been like a, what an anagram or whatever like a, a hepatic electronic <laughs> it's like chomps yeah exactly I forget what you call those but I wish it they they was like well it's the blah 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 spells out Hector right but no that's not the uh, case but Hector is a pretty interesting design because he's sort of humanoid right yeah. he's but he's got a torso right. <laughs> with like musculature on it but he's also got these tubes that go through him and the tubes uh, have liquid that runs through them which looks really cool when it actually goes through the when they when they inject it through the tubes totally and his head is like this little tiny sensor with like two sensors for eyes and like a third sensor for, I don't know, a nose or a mouth or whatever. It's on its own little sort of robotic arm. And the image of Hector was definitely the thing that I remember most as a kid. I would go through the papers, the weekend papers, and look for movie posters of movies I wanted to see. And I remember just looking at Hector like, oh, my God, I got to see Saturn 3. Look at that thing. And that must be the most terrifying robot of all time. Uh, sadly, I did not get to see the movie until much later. But yeah, Hector is a pretty crazy fucking design for a robot. Hector's head in particular reminded me of... Um, is it Johnny Five? Yeah. The short, oh, short yeah. circuit robot. That's yeah. what. That's what I was reminded of. I was like, oh, that's that's a choice for the head like that with everything else going on. Yeah, it's weird. You know, it's creepy in its own right. The fact that it's this little tiny little like you. I mean, you can't, you can't really describe it. It's just this sort of weird apparatus that's supposed to be its head with these spindly sensor eyes on this massive hulking. Again, going along with the you know, the fact it's Frankenstein in space. You know, the fact it's a Frankenstein type. Creature, you wonder what would the alternative be? I mean, can you come up? You know, you almost wonder the way they built this thing. I, I wonder if any kind of head that would be what we would expect to be for some you know, fearsome robot would just look bizarre, even more weird on that body. Well, we'll we'll see it later. You know, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> which I which I actually loved. So that was great. Yeah. Um, it strangely works for me because it's so bizarre and so mm -hmm. yeah. like you're like you're, you're there are more questions than answers here but that that makes it creepy i get the feeling that the and i have no uh trivia or anything to back this up but i get the feeling that they were kind of focused on like practical robotics in a lot of ways because there are practical robotics that are in the lab and you yeah. know there's all different types of robotic arms and ro robotic mechanical things going on so there's some of that incorporated to Hector because he has these like arms that aren't like human arms they're more like those kind of robot arms and he's got these cool fingers that can like do keypads and stuff yeah. but the way they work is really not finger like right. it's it's kind of cool there's definitely very cool 
disparate elements that are all kind of like thrown into this weird blender to make Hector. <laughs> I feel like they were trying to out weird the alien maybe a little bit. Like I, I think they were like, we can't just have him be like the robot from Lost in Space or whatever. Right. It's got to be something crazy. Right. So I think that's where Hector came from. So, some fevered you know, <laughs> design designer but i kind of love him he's compelling to look at yeah i agree and and i i did like what mark said i don't know what other head i would put on him i mean i i don't know what else would work he works the way that he is and he's really um off-putting and interesting to look at and they did put a lot of money into hector i did read um I think it was on IMDb. Like, I think they spent like a million dollars or something yeah, to yeah. build Hector. That's a lot of money then to build this robot. And I, I read also that it, it, it didn't work as well as they'd hoped. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, you kind of expect that with these, with these behind the scenes production stories now, but yeah, I guess there were uh, multiple different arms and different heads and different parts for different shots. And they didn't, they, they didn't, they didn't. Work. Yeah. Sometimes you can tell they're doing like stop motion or something to make him work. Sometimes he seems to be working in some sort of mechanical way. Yeah. Um, obviously there's gotta be a person in the sort of torso part, like, cause he walks around with like, normally type robot legs. That, so yeah, I mean, there's obviously a, suit actor involved as well but yeah it seems like a lot of shit going on right. and i'm sure half the time it wasn't working at all yeah. the deal is with hector is that benson uh as we said has this link in the back of his head underneath his ponytail called a direct <laughs> input or whatever is what he calls it and he can link his mind to Hector and therefore allow Hector to learn quickly or whatever. But the great thing is like, so he sets up Hector and then like, he just like bursts into Alex and Adam's like sex room with Hector. Like I got Hector, I got Hector set up and they're like, what are you doing in here? And he just like, he's like, come see my robot or whatever. And then like, they go play chess. Which is a great scene, by the way. I love how they did that. Yeah. And, and and there's a whole subplot with Kirk Douglas where he's he's inadequate. He keeps calling him obsolete. The idea that, you know, he's yeah. this old guy who's dating this, you know, this this uh, you know girl half his age and and he keeps saying, Look, it's inevitable you're gonna leave me. And the idea now that okay, the the, the robot, Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel wants to replace um, Kirk Douglas to be, you know, he wants to start using Farrah Fawcett's body and he wants to, you know, uh, you know, sub for him. And now it's the moment where Kirk Douglas and the robot meet and it's going to be a meeting of the minds over a chess game. And it's so awkward to watch in a lot of ways because Kirk Douglas is sort of sitting there and this robot's like eight feet tall. So he's kind of, kind of looking up at him, but the chess pieces are super cool. And they, you know, they clearly put some design into them. And there's talking, he's talking about how, oh, I remember it, the, the idea that's, oh, they're talking about sacrifice. So you can't teach the robot sacrifice, which is something you right. need for chess, I guess, so to win chess. Which is important. Yes. Sacrifice mm, yes, is an yes. important theme. The setup. Yes. And so, so they set that all up and, and it's a moment where they're really trying for the, in this film to really, you know, put, put forth a theme, a story. And, and that's the moment where you really feel like, all right, everything is, everything's working together as it should. It's, it's, it's a fleeting moment. Um, and again, like I said, it's, it's all sort of awkwardly staged in a way. And cause Harvick does sort of standing there watching all this happen. And it's like, 
he's just and the robot's doing all the work, but but, but you know, Kaitel is the one that's sort of behind it. So it's just a weird the way they stage the scene. It's just kind of it's just kind of awkward. But it's really cool to watch all the the stop motion of the robot picking up the the pieces. It works for a while, and then it kind of falls apart. I think you're hitting on something that's really key as to why this movie kind of doesn't gel. It's that sort of awkwardness that you're talking about. Like, I feel like that kind of permeates every element of this movie. Like, things don't quite fit together. You know what I mean? Like, all the parts are kind of cool, but they kind of don't fully gel. And I think that that's part of the reason is you have this director who's not really the original vision, who's now got to deal with it. You've got all these sort of moving parts going on. So, yeah, it it's something about it where it just kind of doesn't quite all fit together. They're like puzzle pieces that are like kind of yeah. uh, not quite there. And like I feel like it's edited in a way that's like the cuts are all really like they're trying to cut it down. You can tell like yeah. the, the things probably were breathing more and they've like, you know, cause there'll be scenes with Farah and Kirk Douglas talking and they just cut it like, all right, let's just cut it this line. Yeah. And they cut, you know, like, and they're trying to get character development out in this, in these scenes and it, they don't let any of it, any of it breathe. It just, it's, and it moves. So for a movie that's supposed to be, slow and kind of atmospheric and lumbering in a way the pacing on it is just really weird they're just in and out of scenes like almost like tv cuts like boom 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 um and it and it feels like you know they are trying to cut around what they had to get to a finished film they're not letting any of the stuff get out with uh, character development whatsoever it's funny you say that mark because my feeling throughout watching the film was it reminded me of tv just the the vibe of it reminded me of like this, you know, could have been an Outer Limits episode or something. I don't know. Like it, it had a very TV like feeling to it. And also um, I was reading about Farah going on, I think she went on Carson like a, a few years after this film came out or whatever. And she was like, not that great at interviewing. I mean, like even later in life, I don't think it ever got better. She would get really nervous and act kind of weird. And people thought she was on drugs, but she was just like, no, I'm just really uncomfortable. I guess Carson was just like kind of teasing her. And he's like, oh, you didn't you make a film a few years back, you know, Saturn three and everyone in the audience kind of laughed and she got, got really quiet and uncomfortable and was just like, it was, you know, it was supposed to be like a completely different film than what you ended up seeing. So it does feel like it got chopped up. I think it's a interesting idea, and I think that the dynamic with all the characters and everything are really cool. Like, it feels like it could have been a really cool movie, but a bunch of things just got kind of messed up along the way, and it doesn't really fit together, and it's cut too quick. But the thing that happens next is basically Hector starts getting horny for Alex. <laughs> Uh, because Benson is horny for her and because his personality has been put into this robot, like now Hector's, you know, getting kind of randy for Alex. She like gets some kind of thing like blown into her eye at one point and like the robot takes the piece out of her eye with tweezers and that's sort of a tense scene because these like robotic tweezers are like going right up into her eye. Benson has this really weird conversation with the robot where they're sort of like 
at odds with each other because the robot keeps saying like you killed someone and benson's like strike that from the record or whatever yeah, clear it in your mind don't don't think about that i mean that's you know that's what happens when you're sharing your thoughts with a robot you can't, can't gotta filter that 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 crime out but yeah and i with the scene with the pulling out the um live chip it was called a live chip yeah live chip it's super intense because um earlier we also see with hector that like I think it was when he went to go play chess, like he took the flask or whatever, the the carafe that they have their booze in. And didn't he like, he like held it in his hand and he like crunched it. Yeah. So Alex is rightfully so terrified. Yeah. That, like Hector's coming at her eye with these tweezers because he doesn't really know how to control his strength. That gets established. I mean, he also uh, crushes the, the the chess piece as well when he, when he loses. I like how they're introducing the idea that the robot keeps saying he murdered somebody because the robot's innocent. And the fact that it's, it's Keitel is sort of putting his mind into the robot and sort of corrupting it in a way. So the robot's kind of fighting against that at first, which is why they're at odds with each other. And I love that idea. The fact that, you know, this robot is, it's, it's, it's sentient, but it's not fully formed and not fully educated yet. So it's trying to understand the thought process because the idea was that Keitel said, you know, uh, it'll learn, um, but it, it'll take time. So that's when he starts putting the little um, the thing in his live uh, direct contact. What was that called? Direct something? Direct input. Direct input, right. Yeah. And uh, so the idea is that it's flooding this robot's head with all of the dark, corrupt, evil villain stuff that Titel's got going on in his head. So the robot's kind of fighting against it. I thought that's a really cool idea that they completely abandon after the scene's over, like every other idea they've introduced. I mean, this feels like a movie that's, you know, maybe it's, you know, two hours, maybe a hundred hour, 45 minutes, which could have had a lot of interesting themes and ideas and, and, uh, you know, cause they, they introduced these things, but they, you know, uh, abandon a lot of the um, ideas that they, that they uh, introduce. And I figured if they, at least played with some of those and let them get to the end of those strings, those arcs, um, it'd be a much much more interesting film. Well, I mean, like Alien is two hours and like, I don't know, it's like two hours and 10 minutes or something like it's, it's a long horror movie. Yeah. So they should have at least given Saturn three, that kind of length, because I mean, with sci-fi, you've got to establish a certain amount of world building and stuff. So you need that extra time, you know, like it's not just like a straight horror movie where you can do an hour and a half easily yeah you know with sci-fi you got to set up all these things you got to set up the world and all that stuff so you, you really do need that time and if you try to cut it too close you just lose all of the the meat of the the movie right and and like i said you know when i was a kid i'm thinking okay it's a robot run amok on a ship killing people left and right and you know if you're gonna do an 85 minute version of that sure it's a slasher film but they didn't do that and so now they're trying to create an atmosphere that they're not letting breathe and not letting expand and that's 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 a big problem with the film and, it, and it's throughout the whole movie i mean it permeates the entire film. right and it's not really a slasher situation because you've only got three characters right. only, you know <laughs> you don't have that many people to kill so right. you you better be doing something with the characters if that's what you have yeah it works against the movie what happens after this is uh hector basically just starts to go crazy hector kills poor uh, uh sally the dog like cuts her head right off it's brutal and i had i had worried ever since we first laid eyes on sally i was like sally there's something bad's gonna happen sally's not gonna make it to the end nope. of saturn three sally's pretty obviously marked for death yeah. <laughs> 
But at that point, like Farrah Fawcett like freaks out because rightfully so. Yeah. And uh, Hector like grabs her by the hands and like holds her up off the ground. And she's like screaming and her hands are bleeding and everything. And like things just go completely amok. Like the robot then goes after Benson and this big thing falls on him. And at one point, Adam comes in and saves Alex and he's kind of has the opportunity to leave Benson to his own demise, which, you know, he kind of wants to do. He said throughout the movie, like, we could just kill him. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she's been like, you won't do that. And he's like, yeah, I know, but I should. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So he has a chance to let Benson get killed here, but he won't he won't do it. He saves him. He's the hero. He's the hero. He can't let that happen. He proves his heroic bona fides. They end up trapped in a room and they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to sit in this room now for 23 (laughs) days. And the robot's like picking away at the door, like pulling Mm -hmm. pieces of metal off the door. But they Adam figures out a plan. The robot's got to charge itself. And so it plugs itself into like a wall monitor. And then Adam like pushes this lever that that basically just increases all the power into the robot and uh, knocks it down. And um, then he's like, he just takes Kaitel the task at that point. He's like, you screwed this all up. You're a failure. <laughs> like, dismantle that robot. The tables have turned on uh, Kaitel at that point. And it's funny, in our, in our conversation, we have not brought up Kirk Douglas very much. Uh, we've, we've been focusing yeah. and, and that's the, and that's kind of how the movie play. Yeah. He's in the movie and, and he's just walking around in these cool outfits, you know, they're made of like Naga hide or something. And, and that's, that's all you've got, you know, and then the fact that he keeps talking about, how he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, obsolete and, uh, and too old for Farrah and that's all he's doing. And, and, and finally, that's why I said, you know, he's the hero. He's got to, he's got to save Kaitel because he hasn't really done anything up until that point in the film. Yeah. And when I feel at that point, things kind of change, he, he becomes really kind of more of a proactive protagonist after that. We're going to see a lot more of Kirk Douglas. If you catch my meaning. That's right. And by the way, those outfits, Mark, he, I read also that he loved those outfits so much that he kept them. They look very comfortable. See, that's awesome. So I like to just think of him walking around his house, like wearing a Saturn three outfit and just like lounge. It does. Everything looked very, very comfortable. It's a lot of terry cloth and they've got lots of like robes and they're sort of these very seventies sort of earth tony terry cloth looking suede looking kind of uh outfits they're pretty pretty chill very comfortable yeah you mentioned that it's funny that that reminded me of something so yeah the idea that um kirk and farah are growing food and they're very earthy and so there's a lot of beige and brown they're they're constantly in beige and brown and sort of off-white and then kaitel shows up in this cool ass black and green you know outfit and uh so you know i think that's a visual sort of aesthetic they're going for that, you know, that, uh, uh, Adam and, uh, Alex are, are, you know, they're, they're simple of the earth type of people. And then you got Kaitel who's this, you know, crazy, you know, uh, plan to take over everything. Not to get too heady with this, but I mean, obviously there's like Adam. So he's like Adam, yeah. she's not named Eve, but they live in this garden, you know, and this Satan like figure comes in and, you know, th- there's definitely biblical connotations to it. So the next thing that happens is well, we think that everything's fine now, right? No, because Hector has managed to somehow get into the other robotics that are in the lab. And he basically 
rebuilds himself by using these robots, which is a cool idea. However, this scene seems to go on forever. <laughs> like they are really wanting to show off these robotic things that they're using. And it's just like I watched the movie twice and I timed the second time. I'm like, this is like five minutes of like robot arms picking up robot <laughs> parts and then putting them together. It's like we see the whole fucking thing get like rebuilt I think I'm gonna trim this down a little. Yeah, I'm. They could have lost some of this and given given us some other. Stuff. Yeah, they could have let uh, the, some of the scenes with uh, Kirk and Farrah go yeah. a little longer instead of we get eight minutes or five minutes of, of stop motion and animatronics. It is cool though that Hector yeah. rebuilds himself. It's a good sort of way to get the monster back in the game. But yeah this scene takes way too fucking long. It just goes on and on and so many hydraulic things moving around. But then what I love, this may be sort of the highlight of the movie for me in terms of just batshit craziness. Benson decides to take all the drugs, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's got like a thing full of pills, all different crazy colors. One thing that I'm really sad that I wasn't of age in the seventies is there was this idea that in the 70s, like people just carried around like bags full of multicolored <laughs> pills. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever came across those in real life, but I fucking know I didn't. Like, you know, in like movies where the drug dealer would show up and they oh, like, yeah. have a briefcase. A briefcase with everything. Multicolored yeah. pills just in rows. I personally did never experience anything like that. I've been to the Winter Music Conference in Miami, so I've seen something like that in a few hotel rooms at three in the morning. Oh man, I'm so jealous. So it's not 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 totally far off. I always wanted to see the briefcase full of pills. Same. This is more like a FedEx box. They just sort of pour it out on the bed and everyone kind of look, whoa, look at all these and then we'll kind of pick it, they point at what they what they want, and then they tell you how much it costs. All right, well, that, that makes more sense. A little more modern day. So, yeah, Benson takes all the drugs, and he's like, I'm going to take Alex with me. So he, like, busts in on Kirk, Douglas, and Farrah. Again, they're, like, getting ready to get it on. She's wearing, like, this white negligee type of thing. And Kirk Douglas is like, I thought I told you never to come in here again. <laughs> And friggin' Kaitel just grabs Farah and is like dragging her out like a caveman. And Kirk Douglas gets up full <laughs> nude and fucking fights him in the hallway. And like Farrah Fawcett's got to like grab his Kirk Douglas's like hair, hair. and pull his head back. And Kirk Douglas still has like at 64, he has like a nice head of hair. Nice silvery mane. And he's buck naked. Like, I'm sure he had like a sock on or whatever <laughs> they do to hide hide the business. Did he? I don't know. Because he looks amazing. Like, that. I was like, 64. Like, because we do see, we see his buns. Like, we see oh, that. Yeah. And I was like, 64-year-old six, man with the hair and everything. I was like, good for you. Yeah. Kirk Douglas, yeah. like, no wonder he lived for another 40 years. The dude only died last year yeah. at 103. Yeah. I was completely in shock. Like, I was like, is he, he is buck ass naked fighting Harvey Keitel. Like, this was wild. Yeah. And it was, yeah. But yeah, he looks, he looks amazing. And Keitel's in that green vinyl suit. Yes. And it's just, it's again, back to the awkward style of the movie where, you know, Kirk comes on and he's like furious. He's like, and then when she pulls his head back, he kind of looks at her, gives her this crazed look like he's going to attack her next. And then you start to yeah. think, oh, wait a minute, is he, is, 
maybe they're going to play something where maybe maybe uh, Kirk Douglas is actually a robot. He's not really a human, and they're talking about obsolete. Maybe so, and it, you know, obviously it's not where they go with it. But that would be a good twist. Yeah, yeah, and because because I hadn't, I again, I hadn't seen it in years, so I thought, oh shit, is he? Is he like? Is it sort of like um, not Bishop, the one in home and alien, where you realize he's a, a, a android? I'm thinking, are they going to play that that card with this because he gives you this crazy look? That you're convinced he's like he's not human for a bit, and then he kind of like, you know, overplays the oh I'm going to calm down now I'm I, I'm a little too nuts right now I'm a little too angry I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of the situation and you know step off of Harvey Keitel who's you know trying to still breathe and gasp for air, um, and then she you know uh, Farrah walks Kirk off with his bare ass and the, the <laughs> right in the light you know they, they've they've lit his ass and he's walking away yeah it's 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 a memorable moment. For sure. Uh, not just for this film, but for the, all film in 1980. For uh, all of film history, I would say. Right. But then Keitel like, grabs like some kind of piece of machinery or whatever and like wallops Kirk Douglas over the head. And he goes to drag out Farrah again. But then Hector gets involved and Hector like lashes out with his robot claw and friggin cuts off Harvey Keitel's hand right off. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's it for Keitel out of the movie. You'd think there would be a more sort of detailed killing scene, but that's all we get until later we see what, what has happened to him. But that's pretty much it for his character in the movie. He's, he's gone now. I was really confused by that, too, because I was like, is that like because we didn't see him again for a while. And I was like, were we to accept that that and you were like, (laughs) did he bleed to death (laughs) with getting his hand severed? Like it was just kind of like it was an interesting way to go about it with him. Like I just would have expected. I mean, yes, we do get more later. But with that, it was like, I I just was, I felt very unsatisfied. I felt like he needed a a bigger end. Well, I would say they cut something out, but then I think they're trying to play it as a mystery because later the reveal is kind of a reveal. I was going to say that, you know, I, by this point in the film, I'm used to them cutting out of, right out of scenes in the middle, like we discussed earlier. So I just assumed, oh, okay, they, they're, they're cutting the film for a certain running time. They're like, okay, the audience gets it. He's dead. Okay. Or, or, you know, yeah. we'll just move on now. Like we, like they've been doing for the past hour. Um, so I just kind of assumed, all right, that's their, that's their style for this film is just yeah. all right, next scene. I also kind of feel like in movies from the seventies until like sort of the slasher uh, genre really came into vogue and like gore became a real thing. I feel like deaths were sort of more understated. Like I remember seeing stuff from the seventies where people would get like thrown into a wall and they'd fall down and they'd be like, Oh, he's dead. Like we all understand. Like if you hit a wall, you're dead. If you lose a hand, you're dead. (laughs) Now it's like, that's not good enough. We need to see the person die on screen or they're not fucking dead. And they need entrails or head trauma or something. Blood splatter across the wall. Things were more understated then. But yes, the next section of the movie is sort of my least favorite uh, section of the movie. And this sort of has become a trend and stuff that we talk about. I always feel like this like second half of the second act is always, I'm always hardest on this point because like, there's a lot of things going on. The movie's trying to pick up momentum or whatever. And I usually find myself struggling with these sections of movies, but we get this sort of cat and mouse thing where Adam and Alex are trying to escape to Benson's ship because, you know, there's a killer robot. They just got to get the fuck out of there. 
But, you know, they've got to sneak under the floor and the robots following them above the floor. And then they got to trick Hector with this like waste trap or something where they take these panels out from the floor. But then they put the top panels back so that the heavy robot will then fall through the panel into this like icy. Yeah, it's like icy cold water or some kind. Yeah. At one point we've seen Kirk. Douglas like blowing some kind of waste into that underwatery area or whatever they they set it up very briefly whatever it is but we get Farah then too like after they've set that up I just thought like Hector's not gonna fall for this like she's like come here Hector come here it's okay you know come over here and I'm like no Hector's not gonna go for any of this no he gets wise he picks up like a space rock and like chucks it into (laughs) the thing and Adam is smart and he's like hiding behind this other robot arm and he just uses the robot arm to then knock Hector into the icy water or whatever but you know they go running out and then Hector just blows up the ship anyway remotely so they're fucked oh that's right yeah the, the the um that shuttle which was cool. It looked like a giant, like, fly head, the way that it was designed. Totally, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's right. They're running to it, and they think, okay, we've done it. And then I guess Hector is some, oh, yeah, he goes to the console and blows the thing up. And- yeah, so Hector takes control, but Kirk Douglas is like, he doesn't want to kill us because he could have killed us if he wanted to by just blowing us up in the ship or whatever. So they know that Hector wants to use them for some purpose. And the purpose is just, I guess, to run the space station or whatever. And I guess to get it on with Farrah Fawcett or something later. Although I don't know how he's going to do that, but I can probably imagine (laughs) something. He's speaking to them over like the PA and stuff, and he's using Benson's voice. And we actually see like Benson's face on like a screen for a, a minute. So they're like... Oh, is it Benson? Is he still alive? Yeah, they're very surprised Benson's back. They're like, holy shit, he's, he's, he, didn't, he didn't die. He's alive. Oh, my God. And so they walk into, like, I don't know, the, the main room or whatever, and Hector's up in, like, this DJ booth or whatever. That was my first thought. I'm like, what the? What, what the? Well, they were in the disco portion of this place. <laughs> You're like, have I spun in that booth? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it's so funny you say that because I literally was, I have, a, I have my notes here. I'm like the DJ booth in the, uh, the, the hydroponics lab. <laughs> yeah. So they look up to the DJ booth and Hector's in there, but he's now wearing Benson's head. Yes. So we get like this Harvey Keitel prosthetic uh, on top of the robot. Sadly, this look is not carried through the rest of the movie. Like I would have been know. like, let's just work this through the end of the movie. Yeah. It would have been really cool. Cause it looks great. I mean, the, 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 um, prosthetics uh just on because it's weird like it's it's because it's sort of half his head yeah sort of stuck like wedged onto the the little bead yeah most of so it's it's kind of half a cartel's face but the rest of it's just like just grizzle and i'm like oh man if the rest of the movie is this is hector walking around with cartel's head on its little little bitty eyeballs i'm like man we this it's we're home free this movie's we're set this is perfect five stars I'm sorry. The horror of this moment is just so intense that I guess Farrah faints and we don't even know what happens to Kirk Douglas. He's just like, my God, or whatever, (laughs) and then fade out. Right. And then Kirk Douglas just wakes up and he's like in bed. Like, so what the fuck happened there? Well, you you automatically think, oh, they're not doing the it was all a dream bit. Like, oh, what the hell? Because he's like, wake up. He's looking around. He's like, oh, man, that was wow. What a. What a, what a crazy night's, uh, what, a, what a crazy dream. Man, those blue dreamers were intense. Blue yeah. dreamers. Yes. Well, you know, it's funny. 
you kind of think that for a second. You think, oh, maybe this yeah. is all part of some crazy nightmarish thing from the the, the drugs when they when they take them. Totally. Which I would have been a really. I'm not. I'm not a fan of the whole. It was all a dream bit, but for this, it would have been kind of a cool misdirect. Like, like, yeah. okay, you know, that would have almost worked. I think. But sadly, that's not the case. Adam just no. wakes up to find <laughs> out he's got one of those like links in his brain for some nefarious reason. They're now out of the shadow lock, as they call it. They're out of this eclipse, so now they can reestablish contact with the colonies or whatever and like this really cheesy sort of flash gordon-y looking spaceship comes flying by and they're like we're just checking on you we're doing a survey making sure you're okay and kirk douglas goes to respond but then hector responds in his voice the guys in the survey ship are like let's talk to that little cutie you got there or whatever <laughs> how's our favorite space girl space doing girl, that's right that's right <laughs> And then Hector speaks to them in her voice, so they realize yep. that now Hector is going to just pretend to be them if anybody comes to try to save them or whatever. And Hector keeps talking about, like, you need to fulfill your duties or whatever. He's got some sort of nebulous plans for them that we don't really fully understand. He just kind of picks up where Kaitel left off when he's bitching at him in the beginning of the, of the movie, like... You guys aren't growing vegetables fast enough, or you know, you, you guys aren't, aren't getting food to Earth fast enough. You know, you're two months behind on your research, and so you think, all right, you know, this crazy ass robot wearing Harvey Keitel's head on top of it yeah. is just be like, all right, well, get back to work, and that's basically all it wanted, all it did. I'm like, don't you want to do something cooler, maybe? Just, yeah, but no, right? it's like you guys, you you gotta get back on those sprouts. Yeah, this needed to like evolve into something really bizarre, like some crazy robot sex world or something. <laughs> like it needed to just get completely insane here, and sadly, it just kind of is like, well, I guess we're going to be slaves to the robot or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, even if even if the robot is getting all, like learning from. Harvey Keitel's character, it's like, why did Harvey Keitel, like, I mean, I guess because he had failed his exams and was deemed to be unstable, he just decided to leave with this and, and like, continue working? Yeah, was the plan really to increase productivity at this hydroponic? That's what I'm saying! <laughs> like, who gives a fuck about the hydroponic yeah. blade? Like, you've got Hector, you could do so many other things, and it's like, what a boring-ass, yeah. like... Yeah thing to do where it's just like i mean and harvey goodell's gone now and he's dead and hector's just like grow things faster yeah. work 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 and it's it could have been yeah it could have been so much more bonkers there's no evil scheme there's nothing no. Like no. that either kaitel or the robot want that's nefarious really i mean it's just middle management honestly this seems like a pretty efficient new system <laughs> benson was just upset because he sucked at his job but he still wanted to keep doing his job yeah. like that's kind of like i felt you know like he was gonna he wasn't succeeding on the, the the space station or whatever and like you know the guy like ridiculed him and he was like i'm gonna go do my job somewhere else i'm gonna kill somebody to do it for the privilege <laughs> what a nerd it's like you go in and kill everybody at your office so that you can like do their jobs for them <laughs> better like you think you could do it better and they like all like shamed you that you were shitty and you're like i'm gonna murder everyone and i'm gonna run the best office <laughs> yeah, yeah. i feel like maybe there was something more there that got cut out like he had some sort of plan yeah. to do something evil or whatever said the movie's 80 
two or 88 minutes long. It's funny when we went to watch it, you know, uh, you know, check the running time, like, Oh, you know, okay, let's, you know, let's see what, what kind of night we're in for. And it, the, you know, it says 84 minutes long or 88 minutes long. And for the movie they're, they're, they're selling you for that running time. You automatically think, all right, something has gone wrong at some point. Yeah. And they're just trying to salvage what was left. Cause there's nothing wrong with a short movie. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But for the movie they're making and the movie, the story they're telling, it's not an 88 minute endeavor. It's no. uh, their parts missing from this robot. Yes, yes. The only way out of this situation, Adam figures, is to strap some bombs or whatever to himself and go in and confront Hector. You know, he makes sure that Farah is not in the way. In fact, he yells at her like, get the hell away from me or whatever, and like pushes her across the room. She doesn't know what's going on. And then uh, Hector's like, I'm going to put this needle in your port or whatever and make you do what I want you to do or something like that. And then Kirk Douglas keeps kind of being like moving away from the needle and saying some lines like, but it wasn't your fault, but it wasn't his fault. It's a really weird. This goes on for a really yeah. long time. And they keep zooming in on the yes. port too and the needle like getting closer to it. And then like the dialogue between them. And then he moves his head and he's like, it wasn't James's fault, he says, who was the pilot that was supposed to come. Right. It's completely nonsensical. Definitely something was cut out here because this doesn't make any sense he's not even saying anything pertinent to the scene it's really weird but yeah he basically just uh grabs hold of hector and pushes him into the frozen water waste tank thing or whatever and then they both blow up and we get this crazy like slow motion water with like the parts of the robot like falling in the water and this like goes on for like a minute just like cascading water with robot parts it's really weird again no parts of adam because i had to double check i was like did adam blow up too yeah, i'm sure they just couldn't do it because of ratings or whatever no and that it's fine but no and, and i get it it wouldn't have fit with the rest of the tone of the film anyway because that's not what they were doing but i'm just saying i i, I guess because i'm so used to gore now i was just like i had to double check i'm like so adam adam sacrificed himself right like he blew up too <laughs> well apparently i i had read that um uh, lou braid did like the violence and gore and so i think i think apparently he had he objected to the um to james's murder i think uh either either the the original version of i guess it was worse or, or bigger or whatever and uh and i guess they were the mandate was to tone all that down Oh, okay. um, and so, uh, so that's why we don't, I think that's why we don't see any, cause it, it, it's, it's like you said, the opening of the movie, you see James get bisected by these, you know, these, these, you know, razor wires or whatever they are. And then the very end, all you see is water splash and mechanical pieces flying for a very long time. Well, maybe they were thinking people didn't want to see Kirk Douglas's guts all over the place. You know, we saw everything else earlier. Yeah. <laughs> This is true. So that's it for Hector. And the end of the movie is one last scene of Farah on this shuttle or whatever, this like commuter shuttle or something going to Earth. And she's looking out the window at Earth and we see Earth and it looks like it's 
part mechanical at this point. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of supposed to be the big scary sting is like Earth is like a robot, too, or whatever. Like, it looks like it's got like a big computer chip continent on it or something. I just thought it was a shitty model of Earth. I didn't even <laughs> think. Like I was like, this just looks bad. But he also, uh, when Sphera's on this this passage to Earth, the shuttle to Earth or whatever, first thing they do is offer her a, like a little plate of drugs and she's like, no. That's right, I forgot about that. No more drugs for me. And it's, it's funny you mention that because yeah, the movie ends with this, you know, she's and and they make a big, you know, it's quick, but they make a big deal about that. Like she's in this new world of like, you know, all very, very uh, foreign to her. The fact that she's going to Earth and, the, you know, the, you get the commuter, the the guy in the, uh, the speaker going, you know, next train to Earth is in five minutes or whatever it is. And so she's all like wide eyed and wow, what's going on? And then I guess she, I, I think she gets in the uh, gets in the ship and sits at the seat and we see the that last shot of Earth and then it's, then it's over, you know, but it feels like the way that they build that scene up where she's so wide-eyed and everything. There's so much that was in the movie about her getting to earth and yeah. the, you know, the, the, you know, whether it's a mystical thing or like, she's, you know, curious about it or there's some sort of date. They got all of that. So the way the, the scene plays out now in the movie, it feels like it was supposed to be some big moment for her character. Right. That is just, flat like she's just like okay she's all like wow this is wow this is all cool you don't know what she thinks like yeah. you don't know if she's looking at it in awe you don't know if she's looking at it in horror like oh my god this isn't what i thought you know like that's what i was assuming just because we're, we've been in sort of a horror movie so i'm just assuming that she's looking at earth and being like oh this wasn't what i expected but i mean i don't know yeah. there's not enough there to even be able to make a reading it's like trying to do like you know that last shot of planet of the apes or something you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah. where it's like you're, ah, you know this is what's really happening or whatever but it doesn't do that or or whatever i mean yeah or just like the excitement of like i'm going to earth or who knows i feel like farah definitely didn't know like they weren't really I telling her they're just like just look out the window and she's like what kind of expression should i make i don't know we're, we're not sure what am i seeing what what am i looking at but, but i'll tell you they teased her hair beautifully i mean yeah. they what they did to her hair for that uh, for that last moment where she's clearly dressed up for the occasion yeah because uh, she's even in that i think she's in like a, a similar green jumpsuit or or something yep. to what Kaitel was wearing. It was not the same one, I don't think, but it was similar. And by the way, can we go back real quick to those pair of pants she had on? Kirk Douglas's clothing all looked like it was velour, but she had these great poofy MC Hammer style leather, yep. le like like faux leather pants on, which looked awesome. They were such a cool uh, pair of pants. But uh, she she's in a similar outfit to like what he shows up in. To go to Earth. Well, maybe they're like the space suits you're supposed to wear or whatever. But she even like when she was on the um, back at the, the ship with Adam, like you were talking about with the pants. I think that was the same outfit where she had like all this great jewelry too. Like she had like some really like intricate like bracelets. And I mean, it was like quite a getup yeah. for, you know, growing veggies in space. Yeah, in the chess scene, she's got some crazy shit like hanging off her head. Like she's got some sort of yeah. weird like jewelry that's like hanging off the side of her face. I love all the outfits. All the outfits are A+. Plus. Oh, we forgot to mention too their little tattoos they have on the side of their head. Yeah, oh, right, right, so, right. so they set that up and it's, this can, goes back to what we're talking about where they set up these great ideas and then everything just gets abandoned. 
And the idea that the um, oh, they're, they're, they're little, they call it a scan. The scan, right? But there's a it's a communication device of some kind, isn't it? Or, or like it's an inform a data chip. I thought it was like almost like a passport or something because he Kaitel looks at hers and he says, "Oh, I can see you haven't been to Earth." Oh, right. He can tell that by looking at that thing. You have this thing on your head, and then when you go somewhere, it scans you, and they know where you are. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> the movie doesn't tell you. No. No, and and it's so like it's something that you notice, of course, right off at the bat in the beginning. But the three of us like, completely forgot about it because it doesn't go anywhere. It's like someone put a data port back here and just like <laughs> sucked that part out. And Hector has that memory. I don't have it anymore. All right. So the budget for this thing was $10 million, which was a lot of money in 1980. And it only cleared $9 million worldwide. Wow. That was $9 million worldwide. Worldwide altogether. So it did not even make its production budget back. And I'm sure with marketing and all of that, they lost a lot of money on this thing. So let me ask you guys, uh, Mark, why do you think this movie failed? I, oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, look, I think there's that, there's a, there's a strange weirdness about it that I think, you know, people just don't resonate with films that are, um, they just feel odd from the start. It's not, it's not like it's a particularly violent movie. It's not like it's a particularly offensive film in any way. It just, it just kind of, it's just kind of there. And then as it progresses, it gets weirder and weirder. The robot looks strange. Kaitel's acting strange. And obviously the, the selling point was, was, was Farrah. And, uh, you know, and yeah, she's in a lot of great outfits. And I think she's even, you see her topless once or twice, I think, in the movie very briefly. Yep. Yes, you do. But, you know, even, even that, uh, it's it's a lot of a lot of elements that just I think like you said earlier it just doesn't gel and I think you know the 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 word gets out about that pretty quick I imagine Buzz probably killed this movie and I and I actually read um Roger Ebert review of the film earlier today where he gave it one star yep and called it um I'm, I'm paraphrasing but something along the lines of uh, breathtakingly stupid so you know you get Ebert out there telling everybody and 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 I have not seen the trailer for this but I can only imagine the trailer makes as much sense as the film. And, you know, it's one thing to see the trailer for Alien where it's a lot of strange images and scenes that don't connect, but at least they're compelling and they're like scary and they're suspenseful. And, and, and in this, you know, it, the robot is cool when you're 11 years old, but if you're an adult and you see this film, you're kind of, you, you, it's like we, we talked about, it. it's, 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 it's off-putting in a lot of ways, maybe too creepy, maybe too strange, maybe too weird. Yeah, it's just, it's totally weird. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling or caring about a lot of this. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not scared. Farah is definitely a huge draw. It was for me even to watch it now. I was like, ooh, yeah, Farah. And I, and I like Kirk Douglas and I like Harvey Cattell too, but I'm like, it's a, it's a weird combination of those three also, um, especially having the love interest with Kirk Douglas and Farah is, is just a little odd. And I mean, maybe too, just because Alien was such a big deal, this was not going to, it wasn't even really trying to be Alien, really. I, I mean, that might have helped him out a little bit more, like at least to get people into the theater if they would have tried to ape Alien a bit more, I guess. I don't know. I mean, look, I enjoyed it. I look forward to watching it again. 
but I don't know who the hell this was for. Like when it came out, That's like who, who was who was it for? Like you said, I mean, you said Mark, like what you were saying about the robot, like who is that for? Like I don't know. And then you got Farah, and like that's a different group of people too. So I don't know. It's just kind of all over the place. Yeah, I think a lot of what you're both saying really makes a lot of sense. I, I do feel also that the whole sort of sci-fi wave that was happening at the time, you know, this was still pretty earlier in the game. You know, we didn't we didn't really know what the the formula was for these things so much. You know, you had Star Wars and that was one thing. And then Alien was the next big hit. And that's totally different. You know, they're not even really relatable in a way. So I think people were just grasping at straws like, ah, I don't put a robot in Frankenstein in space, you know, like, right. you know, now in hindsight, I think we can look at this and be like, well, no, clearly you got to do more here with this. And like we talked about, this needs to be longer. This needs to be more developed. I just don't think they knew what the formula was for a successful sci-fi horror film in 1980, because like alien had sort of, you know, set the template and, you know, later we'd get more successful sort of, takes on that and like you know with terminator and yeah and you know the the whole formula got more refined I, this feels to me like a real like i don't know what we're doing uh people like spaceships let's put a spaceship <laughs> people like farrah fawcett let's put her in there you know yeah. like, it just feels like grasping at a lot of straws the whole movie feels like a big grasping at straws even the story and the way it's assembled and everything it, it feels slapdash so i think that's kind of what it is and i think Mark is absolutely right. I remember at the time the reviews of this, they were abysmal. You know, there was like the Ebert review that you quoted and his word was pretty much God at that point, like yeah. 1980. Yeah. So like if he panned it, like it was probably dead in the water. And, you know, I mean, I think there was interest in, in it when it first came out. And I think word of mouth is probably pretty toxic. And so, yeah, I think all of those things add up to a box office bomb and and the thing is i mean the idea of doing a frankenstein space idea you know, concept there's a lot to play with there there's a lot of yeah. cool ideas that you could come up with and so you know i'm for me remakes are kind of hit and miss depends on what you're doing but you know i've always believed you remake movies that didn't work originally or didn't didn't do well for whatever reason and i think there's a there's a movie in saturn 3 that would work if totally. it was given you know, the right amount of uh, thought and, and time to develop. And uh, so, you know, look, if they're going to remake something, it's Saturn 3. I kind of agree with you. I think Saturn 3 would be a great remake. I, I agree with both of you. And I, I was thinking as you were talking that it also could be more well-received just now than like you were saying back then where it's like the sci-fi horror genre was alien and then like what what else are we doing right and now there's been so much like anything goes now i mean like we were watching our double feature on saturday was hellraiser 4 oh. in space yeah. and then going you know going in or going into you know the, the space theme saturn 3 yeah you know because you can't you have jason uh, spacen j you know jason x spacen did you say spacen <laughs> spacen yeah i don't think i heard that i think i got that from Seth. nicely done i like that thank you but you know like that's that's happened now so i think this would have had you know more of a shot as far as like what can be done in sci-fi horror and i think there were a lot of good ideas 
I wonder what the film, like, like Farrah had said in that interview, like it was something different before, you know, what, what came out of it. Cause it does, as we've talked about extensively, just feel so cut up. And then also I, I think, sorry, I'm not like, I'm a, not like I'm a gore hound. I mean, I love horror, but I think, you know, this would benefit from nowadays being able to have more gore in it. I could see Netflix cranking out a remake of this for streaming. No problem. Yeah. Just throw like, I don't know, whoever the hot pop star is in, in the Farrah role and right. some older guy in the Kirk Douglas <laughs> role. Throw a few more people in there to die. And yes. You got a movie. They need more deaths. Just add a few characters just so they get killed. Yeah, and a little slasher element going. I get they're trying to do a small little claustrophobic piece, but you got to put a few more deaths in there. If we remake Saturn 3, we're not killing Sally this time. No. The dog is going to get to live. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, or at least get turned into a robot dog. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, Something. yes. Or well, that's the twist. Like an alien, the dog is actually the android. Right. <laughs> See, there, it's, this thing writes itself. The remake is happening right now. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't broadcast this. Don't, don't put this podcast up. We're, we're, we have gold here. Don't let someone steal our ideas. No, no, no. No, this is all for us. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go take a blue dreamer and grow a brain out of fetuses <laughs> and brain link into a homicidal robot. As you're wont to do. Just a Monday night here in Oregon. <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.